Hello. Hello. No. <laughs> Talk properly. This is Refigure with Chris and Refo. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech, and diversity. Hello, and welcome to Refigure, the podcast for arts, culture, tech, diversity, and cheese. I'm Christopher and I'm Reefa and we are recording this in a quite swanky hotel room on the shores of the Mediterranean on the Greek island of Rhodes at the other edge of Europe at the other edge of the EU because if we lit out in a boat straight from our hotel room it's an amazing view um, we would end up either somewhere on the southern shores of Turkey or in Cyprus or maybe even uh, in the Lebanon. We can hear and see the sea. This is a different hotel bed. So, shall I tell different you what hotel we Different hotel bed to what? To the one we usually use. <laughs> What's the hotel bed? <laughs> well, we've done a podcast in Dundee when we're in a hotel bed. That's true. This is a and bit warmer. sometimes we do it from our home bed. I'm having an awesome trip. Can you hear how relaxed I am? I'm practically horizontal most of the time. People just keep bringing me food. It's pretty good. I love the Mediterranean. We had a couple of days of stormy weather that Chris really enjoyed because he likes storms. The other British guests in this hotel did not like the stormy weather. I think they probably voted to leave the EU, so I don't know what they're doing here anyway. What are we going to be talking about today? On this week's programme, we're revisiting the three sitcoms that we reviewed in the first episode of season two because we reviewed them after they'd each done their first episode and now they've each come to the end of their six-episode run. So we're going to go back to Fleabag, Derry Girls and Home, the three sitcoms we particularly liked. Um, Two of them are on Channel 4 and one of them is on the BBC iPlayer. We also went to the Museum of Modern Greek Art on a rainy day and looked at an exhibition of work by Vanius and Mercedes. Carry on. What else are we talking about? Oh, that's it. That's what we're doing this okay, week. Okay, cool. So we'll talk about that. It's not one Mercedes, it's some Mercedes. Vanius and Mercedes. So six weeks ago, we watched three new British comedies, Derry Girls... Fleabag and Home and now all of them have completed their seasons so we're going to revisit and talk a bit about what we thought as each progressed. What did you think about how Derry Girls ended up? Derry Girls started really strong, Um, it sagged a bit in the middle I think and later it became really nice i thought it was really good it's a bunch of young kids at school and because it's girls as well they're really they're just ordinary teenagers they just happen to be an all-girls catholic school run by nuns and it's a comedy with the backdrop to the troubles in northern ireland 
And what I love about it is that they're continually having these scrapes and there's a school disco where there's a carry moment and there's Bill Clinton comes to visit. And some of the shots are actual real footage from news at the time. But these young people are just basically having the time of their lives, doing the thing that they do best, i.e. it's all about friendship and about trying to live their best lives. <laughs> so a lot of the time it's just about being a teenager in and being friends with each other. You said that thing about at the end when everyone's really f- focusing on peace and it's a huge deal and Bill Clinton is coming to Derry to speak. But really the friendships at the heart of our little group of heroes are more important than that. And that's a really nice way to end it. Yeah, the writing of the female characters about this group of girls is so spot on they've all got their quite distinct characters that you know one's a bit more moral one's a bit more um you know little, <laughs> little goody two shoes one's like the cool one who was trying to do something naughty um and they're all a little bit caricatures but they're consistent throughout and that means that um you know nobody's surprised about how people behave in it they've known each other for years they've all grown up together they've all got each other's backs that's what's really heartening about it but also i love that there's another generation well there's a couple of generations in it who are also women who've grown up in the town and they all know each other and they still have all those hang-ups from when they were kids so you can see how those young women will turn into you know the older generation as they carry on anyway i just found it interesting it's just a fun fun thing to watch i loved the characters but i did find it maybe got a tiny bit formulaic as it went on and the episode by episode scenarios like the kind of crazy sitcom type things that happened each week i got a bit bored of that sort of relentless punctuating everything with 90s music where you'd have a moment of 90s music but it wouldn't actually kick in with relevance to the scene it was just a a kind of device to take you from one scene to the next all of that got a little bit on top of me i really liked the episode though when they went off to watch the take that concert that was really good. I think it's because it took them out of their normal environment and I maybe got a bit bored of the environment. But then the other thing was that underneath the kind of single episode stories, you've got this unfolding arc of the peace process, the declaration of the ceasefire and then a kind of unfolding peace in Northern Ireland that was really powerful and really interesting as well. And maybe that even underplayed a little bit. Maybe there could yeah. have been a bit more of that by the end. I got a feeling there was a bit more of it in the first season actually a bit more of the living under occupation type vibe that's not a really strong criticism but i was trying to work out why i didn't enjoy it more when i really love the characters especially the the kind of lead girl it's pretty brave to do a comedy about these times as well you know the northern island occupation it's really tough subject that's the vibe of it it's like a really small town with all these odd characters and everybody's they're always trying to create something out of nothing the performances are good but the performances are that sort of um, exaggerated sitcom performances whereas the other two shows that we're going to talk about both have much more kind of realist performances maybe more than the other two shows it sticks within that kind of realm of Sitcom. We're sort of repeating ourselves now. Sorry, okay. The second show is Home, 
the Rufus Jones show about Sammy, the Syrian refugee who is living with a family in Kettering or somewhere. Where are they? Dorking. Dorking, uh, just on the outskirts of London and waiting to see if he's going to be allowed to stay. And he's got his kind of um, uh, asylum-seeking meetings and interviews coming and he's, like, trying to make a way for himself. For me, that's grown into something I've absolutely adored. At the beginning, I felt like it was the most mainstream of the three sitcoms but now I definitely feel like Derry Girls is more like the most traditional sitcom and home unfolded into something really powerful and beautiful like I thought I'm not the person that's going to be challenged by this because I'm super pro immigration and super open borders sort of lefty woke sort of bloke definitely felt my sort of views of it were challenged in a really careful thoughtful gentle way as well and yet at the same time it was really fucking funny all the way through there were some really great bits in it when we first started watching it i wasn't sure about it and where the the direction it was going to go and if it was going to be a bit patronizing or if it was going to be a bit on the nose or how they could make a comedy out of this particular topic but it was it was fine because um we still got to see one person's journey through this you know suburban life and living with a weird family um, who I think are portrayed really well. The mum in it is a bit clunky and she, she puts her foot in it and doesn't really know, you know, she's very um, bustly, but she's also a teacher, so she's trying really hard. But she's not one-dimensional and she's not conventional. It's quite a, a talked-about thing at the moment when men write women, and men generally do a really poor job of writing women whether it's in comedy or drama. But, of course, mostly that's what's going on because most of the writers are still men. But um, it it was noticeable how impressive the main female lead is written by Rufus Jones. It is a really well-rounded portrait of someone who is herself has had a difficult time with men but wants to give support and love to this refugee. And as you say, she's not perfect, but she's... She's, like, flawed, but her heart is in the right place in a very believable way. It feels both realistic and funny and sad all at the same time. And she's super British. Um, Butterflies. (laughs) I thought it was going to be like that because she was this sort of flaky mum, but she's not at all. She's a really strong character in it, actually, and sympathetic. The boyfriend, the white guy in it, Rufus's character, he's the one that has the major transformation. The actual refugee is an educated person. We see glimpses of other refugees that come through in illegal ways and uh, a refugee centre and how grim those places are. All kinds of interesting scenarios where this person who comes over to the UK who has this massive affinity with the UK reminds me of stories of other waves of immigrants who've been brainwashed into thinking the UK is like an amazing place because of the Queen no <laughs> because of colonialism um, because of the Queen and Queen uh, no but because because he's just got a romantic idea of what England is like so he wants to stay here so there's a whole thing about... Um, there's a lot of feelings in it. The relationships between the boys and their fathers in it, the men in it, and how this man makes connections with strangers. 
So one of the things I would say about travelling, when you travel, you just take yourself with you. So this guy clearly had always been really good with kids, was a teacher in his, in his homeland, and he comes here and he gets on really well with everyone and he has a sort of similar sense of humour and he just gets on with people. There's a lot of uh, sad humour in this and it's pretty poignant and one of the things I don't really know because I'm not really um, I don't really know if lots of people are talking about this particular programme not as much as Fleabag which is what we're going to talk about next but I think it's going to be one of those programmes which is a slow burn and people are going to start discovering it a bit later on the Channel 4 i uh, Channel 4 i play the 4OD player, the more four, more four. Anyway, the four, whatever the four players called, <laughs> they're going to yeah. start discovering it, and it's going to be, it might be a classic. You never know. This was television to reach out to everyone in the first instance and show itself as being a a nice mainstream sitcom, and then not pull any punches and teach us all about. Uh, the plight of refugees and the situation for people coming here not in a kind of horribly table-thumping political way like if someone like me had written it but warm thoughtful way well, you and told I was blown me, away by it you told me that the we they've done their research Rufus Hand has got Rufus a ref- Hand. what's his name Rufus Jones, <laughs> Jones. <laughs> sorry Rufus how many Rufuses are there for goodness sake Anyway, should we talk about Fleabag? Yeah, so the final show was Fleabag, which loads of people have been talking about on social media. It's definitely, of the three shows, I've seen quite a few people praising all three shows, but Fleabag has really caught the zeitgeist. Second time running, really, like both both seasons of Fleabag, people have adored. Rifa, do you want to dive in on Fleabag? So when we first started watching it, I felt a bit like, oh, it's great. I enjoyed the first series. We'd also talked about the OA and we talked about Russian Doll and Killing Eve as well. We got excited about Killing Eve and all these interesting characters that we've got of female characters, female-led roles and Orange is the New Black, women having agency and having brilliant adventures. And it's so interesting to watch British sitcoms like this. It's so British, so English, so interesting. And the edge of, like, her being this really forward-thinking sexual being and she's having all these adventures and stuff. I kind of felt it went a bit parochial. Parochial. (laughs) Parochial. 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 Sorry, it's it's my London accent. Parochial. No, just keel. Parochial. Yeah. It went a bit parochial. No, not queel. Queel. <laughs> you know, I'm going to leave all this in, Rufa. <laughs> it's just all a bit small town, all right? You know, I kind of got into the romance with the... Um, Moriarty, the priest. Moriarty, right? Because <laughs> he plays Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes, which we enjoyed. His name's Andrew Scott. He's an amazing, amazing actor. If he was a little bit taller, he'd be bloody Doctor Who or something, wouldn't he? I just thought, it's true, he's a little, quite on the little side. But he's fantastic. It reminded me of Faye Weldon's TV adaptation from the 80s with Tom Baker playing a priest. And it was Life's and Loves of a She-Devil. And there's some really, like, saucy scenes in there. 
kind of like it's really dark as well where the heroine in it she has sex with a priest and it's all about power and control and it's all a bit weird and that's what this reminded me of in a much smaller lighter way she's she's in control however there's this bit in it where they're in bed and he turns over and she says i can't believe you did that and she's trying to be honest with him and open with him i think and vulnerable it's a surprise to all of us, including the priest, the audience, that she says that she calls him out on it. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you had sex with me. You jeopardised your whole life, your your faith, your um, commitment to your church, to everything, your, I don't know, beliefs, right? Everything. I can't believe you did that. She calls him out. And then he's such a good actor, you see it in his eyes. He switches from loving her or what he thinks is love, lusting. Because the whole way through, I'm just like, both of them are just in lust. They are not in love. They are just enjoying the frisson, the sexual tension, the naughtiness of it all. And it's not so much power and control, like I said about the Faye Weldon one. It's more like... Um, they're both in it for the control and the and the freakiness of it all and the naughtiness of it all like they're all like going to fuck up someone's wedding and all of that anyway the split second in his really black eyes that he has where he switches from lusting and finding her amusing and loving her in in this whatever kind of way it is he switches and he doesn't like to be called out and he doesn't like to feel this and he feels that weight of it and he hates her he blames her he looks at her and he thinks fuck that's temptation she did it to me i'm the one that's could have fuck up if I don't make the right choice and that's the moment and it goes on you know there's a bloody wedding in the middle of it and the the dad's a bit of a dick to her and she has this hilarious moment where she doesn't even she doesn't want to be center of attention but she ends up walking up the aisle <laughs> which other was hilarious it was brilliant the fourth wall gets broken a few times in it and I feel like she even takes that to another level in this series for me it doesn't even need us to analyse what that all means. It just needs to be... Uh, that's part of the art of it all, is that she broke the fourth wall, she brought us in, and then actually it wasn't part of that at all. And we're like, who are we in this scenario? And it's beautifully, beautifully done. And I had a lot of feelings in it, not to mention the fact that, obviously, she's having a sort of an affair with, with God like with spirituality brill i just agree with pretty much everything you said extraordinary performances extraordinary direction and extraordinary writing all all piled on top of each other she just is one of our great writers she is on a par with some of the very greatest writers we've produced and killing eve has its own different taste and texture and is a, a fantastic like treacly delight of a show and then this, what a wonderful... It felt like you could just watch it all again. From I mean, the you're totally right about the subtleties of the relationship and who's zooming who and where on earth loyal... Like, one of the things that happens through this second series is that, on the whole, a lot of the time, she is doing good things and she is behaving herself and she's certainly making a real effort to behave herself and a lot of the conflict that comes to her comes to her from other places from other people's messes and other people's 
dishonesty or catastrophic situations that they've got in. And what she's doing is trying to juggle those. The friendship between the sisters, the proper sisterhood, is really well done. From the start, from the first series, where they were both dealing with their mum's death in different ways and they were both hurting and they were both having... Um, sort of blaming each other and not looking out for each other and they both say horrible things to each other. That's what sisterhood is when later they actually um, make up and look out for each other and her sister says to her, you're the only one that I would run through an airport for. And that's just gorgeous. And that's the love story, right? Yeah. So our other topic is something that you can't do unless you come to Rhodes, which is probably quite annoying, but we don't care. We went to the Museum of Modern Greek Art and looked at the major retrospective of Valius Semetsades. He was born in Russia in 1911. He had a Greek father and moved to Greece when he was a kid. But he actually lived through the Nazi occupation of Greece and died in 1983. And this was a major retrospective. Got quite different styles. There was two floors of his work. Um, quite a lot of his etchings, it looked like to me, were very realist and reminiscent of Russian artwork with lots of people with flags and stuff. But his other work was really different. Um, lots of portraiture that was almost three-dimensional. He's got a really particular style that I found quite compelling. It was really interesting to go to see an artist that we don't know particularly well, although he's he's a really major established 20th century name here in Greece, but and, and internationally, I suppose. But our kind of level of knowledge about art is, you know, he hasn't had a big British retrospective, so to us he was still a pretty new name. There have been career retrospectives from him since the late 70s, and he is a really established figure here. This particular retrospective was originally put together in 2012 and has toured around some of the major Greek art spaces and has, I believe, travelled overseas once, maybe to Germany. But it was really particularly powerful to see it here in Rhodes because this is where he was based for much of his life, especially his later life. And he does a lot of kind of socialist rural kind of slightly like when you say the soviet style you kind of mean that you know, kind of romanticized image of people at work and labor and he does a lot of those sort of paintings although they're very they feel very real and they feel very vivid and a lot of it's based in the hills and farmland of Rhodes itself but the colors that he uses and the way that the friezes are made they look like ancient greek friezes you know so like the way that people are painted or drawn their full bodies sideways. And also the style is like, reminds me of Billy Childish. It's that scrawling on a etching. Like rough hewn. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, like on tile. But that tile. doesn't mean it was like naive no, work, was it? No. It was very sophisticated work. Well, Billy Childish isn't naive work. Oh yeah, that's true, sorry. I don't mean like, I, don't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> but the fact that it's doing, it's portraiture, but using this kind of indelicate way of working. It's really hands-on and really visceral. Whereas if you go upstairs to the second floor, he's done all these interesting posed portraits. Some of them were really magnetic. 
Have you got these photos? Hopefully yeah, you've got photos. Yeah, we can photos. share some photos, yeah. I'll put some photos on the Instagram. It's almost eerie that they're really alive and vibrant and the colours of the clothes that they've put them in, he's put them in are like acid yellow. I found them really interesting and um, I would have spent a bit longer in that space. One of the most brilliant pieces was during the German and Italian occupations, he was very subversive and he was trying to make political points. And one of the best pieces, which may have been done a little bit later, but was really reminiscent of that, or was really felt really powerful as a response to occupation, was this large piece, uh, Dancing in the Face of the Executioners, which is apparently linked to a true thing that happened. And um, I definitely have an image of that, so I'll put that on the Instagram. So that was one of the most powerful, big pieces in the show. What I also found was interesting was that you know, Rhodes is a very touristic island and Rhodes Town is a place in the summer, it's like heaving with tourists and there's an old town and it's full of castles and medieval cobbled streets and all of that. But there's a whole bit which is the new town and the bit that we had to go through to get to the gallery was really run down, but in a run down sort of way that I really like. <laughs> it's like old hotels, hotels from the 90s that haven't been used for a long time and there's sort of disused buildings and we're going for it and no one around at all it's completely deserted in the middle of the day on a Tuesday and we're wandering around trying to find this museum and uh, this art gallery and it reminds me of like old seaside towns in England in the winter when it was like that it's fun I totally agree about the part of town and the funny vibe as well in some way this shouldn't be a surprise but there was nobody else in that exhibition we went on a day that started out rainy and got sunny and roads was not empty it was pretty busy but it wasn't anything like one would imagine it would be the town would be in high summer or in high season or whatever but of course we walked into and this happens to us so often we walked into this municipal quite major municipal regional art gallery that is a major Greek national space in a way and we were the only visitors to this exhibition for the 40 minutes to an hour that we were in there and there was one staff member and his friend there's a bloke there who told us you know what to do and the fact that for example the first floor was shut because they were changing exhibitions he told us all this and I assumed he was staff and then he turned out just to be the mate of the bloke on the door and the bloke on the door was the only person in there one of the things about this is this art is of really high quality I swear if this retrospective was a career retrospective that we'd gone to on one of our days to the Tate Modern and someone had said oh here's this dude, this amazing Greek painter stick it up in Tate Modern I wouldn't have felt it was out of place remotely quality wise, it was easily as good as things we've seen there and yet he's there and this is his major career retrospective, because it was a major career retrospective it had that feeling of a life of rich art like you say there's more than one style he changes throughout his career it's like when we saw the Dorothea Tanning the other day in the Tate where you get that really rich feeling of a life in art well lived I got that same feeling from Valia Semitsades cost us two euros each to get in right what's next Chris anyway I'm really pleased we saw the Valia Semitsades and we'll put a couple of images up on Instagram but also if you look him up online, he's really worth a look. He's a nice artist. The Instagram is Refigure UK. And what's the Facebook, Refer? 
is facebook.com slash refigurepod. I love I'm looking at you speaking. You can actually see the ocean behind you. It's just beautiful. What are you reading for? 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 What are you reading, Refar? Can you hear me from there? Yeah, probably. I'll put it on your tummy. What are you reading, Refar? Um, so I'm still reading a so, couple of the books that I told you about in previous episodes. So the thing that I'm talking about today is a tiny poem, which I really like tiny poems. Kate Clancy tweeted this. She's got 10.7 thousand followers um, and she's put here, she's a teacher and poet. So I've been working with Syrian sisters in Oxford today. Zerka is eight and she's from Aleppo and this is her poem. Shall I read it to you? Yeah. My anger is the smallest poem in all the world. That's really brilliant. It's because we're sitting on the edge of the Mediterranean. You can't help thinking about the refugees. Especially not after the storms. What are you reading, Chris? My holiday read has been to go back to Landmarks by Robert McFarlane, the absolutely wonderful book about nature writing and about language, the language of the wild world and the natural world. The reason I was taken back to it was... There's a couple of reasons, really. One was I got it from my mum for Mother's Day, and she's absolutely loving it. It's a series of accounts of other nature writers, really iconic nature writers. And funnily enough, when I first read Landmarks, when it came out in 2013 or 2014, I hadn't read any of the books that it was about. But now, going back to it, I have read J.A. Baker's Peregrine, which I actually talked about a few months ago in the first season of this podcast. I've read The Living Mountain, the classic work of the Cairngorms by Nan Shepherd, which is true, that's just truly an extraordinary book. So I feel more on familiar ground with the history of the great nature writing. And what McFarlane does so incredibly well is tells the stories of these books while also telling the stories of the nature in which the books are set, while also writing as a nature writer as vividly and powerfully about the land as some of his heroes have. And then what he's doing is he intersperses the chapters of the book with these glossaries, which are the lost words of the wild taken from Gaelic or poetry, famous poetry. There's some Gerald Manley Hopkins in there and some other poets and that sort of stuff. Or traditional Sussex terms or traditional Welsh terms or all sorts of different lost terms. And this is a kind of bulwark. This book is a kind of a poetic Bulwark, and it's just beautiful. Every I've I've devoured it. So that's landmarks. Robert McFarlane. He's an absolutely exquisite writer. Just beautiful. <coughs> we're done. What are we gonna do? We're gonna. Are you gonna go and eat something? Yeah. Come on then. Buffet, something or other. Or do you just want to head out into the? Yes, I don't. I'm really hungry. Thank you ever so much for joining us on our adventures. Next week's podcast, we'll be back in the UK. I'm going to go to see a football match. I'm going to go and watch Man City play Crystal Palace. I only go and see a football match live once every couple of years. Come on, let's go. Okay, okay, sorry. I was waffling. Please like and subscribe. I need 1,000 people to recommend us. I also need loads of other things to help everybody know about our podcast. You know, because you listen, that this is a really good podcast. If everybody like just liked it, 
be really good. Tell your mates, tell your friends. And also, tell us what you think. Refigure UK on Instagram. We don't really have a Twitter account, but we have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash refigurepod. Or you could tweet us directly. I'm at Reefer and Chris is at Chris TT. Cheerio. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Talk to you next week. Come on, quick. I saw the whole of the reefer. Don't fly.